0: This is an emergency transmission from TV Cream. Hello, I'm Graham and this is TV Cream Stays Indoors. In this podcast, I send someone a link to an old TV show and then once they've watched it, I call them up to find out what they made of it. Today, I'm talking to Tommy Boyd. Now, I know you're indoors, Tommy, but indoors where? What part of the country are you in?
1: Well, uh, I've just come in, actually, inside, because I was going to be talking to you from my front garden, where we've got this little mobile home, which is a great place for isolating yourself. Uh, But it's pouring with rain here in Chichester, where I live, in West Sussex, and you could hear the noise on the roof. And I figured that I would have to keep mentioning that that's the noise and it's not some kind of electronic dropout, just the gentle tinkering of rain on a tin roof. But I couldn't do that. Now, we've got a dog downstairs that's only 10 months old and she's very frisky, so I couldn't risk it downstairs anywhere. So I'm now in what estate agents would call the master bedroom.
0: (laughs) And I'll compliment you on the acoustics of your master bedroom there as well. uh, Ah. That's a great setup.
1: Well, I've got, no, no, I'm, yeah, I've got Venetian blinds, you see. You know, those blinds that slat? Yeah. And if you, if you have the slats open, half open and talk into them, you get no, you get no echo back because right. they break up they break up the sound in the same way that those egg boxes used to in old radio studios
0: <laughs> so the video link i sent you to watch was for the very first episode of the children's tv series press gang which aired on monday 16th of january 1989 at well, I wonder if you can remember what time slot Press Gang had.
1: Me? Yeah, it was uh, always top of the tree, so that would have made it 4.45, I think.
0: Hang on. And when you say top of the tree, what do you mean by that? Is that a kind of the, the prime uh, slot on, uh, on Children's ITV?
1: Yeah, it, it, it offered the biggest audience, uh, but also uh, Children's ITV, and I think the BBC did the same sort of scheduling tactic. Their, uh, their first programmes, which came on at about 3.45 used to be for younger children. Life is like a hurricane here in the Duckburg. And they used to be of shorter duration, five to ten minute animations. Uh, and then the programming became more and more mature as the afternoon went on. There were probably four or five programmes out each day and when I say top of the tree the last show that went out was the most adult if you know what I mean most Uh, grown-up and in my time at children's ITV we had some absolute you know real humdingers of dramas but Press Gang always managed to present itself I think, as being the best of the best.
0: So with that in mind, then, when I sent you the link to the show, you emailed me back and said, I could watch Press Gang all day. So before you'd even watched it, you were happy with that choice of viewing, William?
1: you? Oh, it's sublime, isn't it? There's not much on television and never has been much on television that's significantly better than Press Gang. It's a real credit to everybody involved in making it and a credit to those who love it because it did challenge you. And a double credit to those who are still interested in the thing and, and are lobbying, as I understand it, for a, um, some kind of remake.
0: Can you do a, briefly talk us through what happens in this opening episode, which is called Page One? Yeah,
1: and, um, and it is Page One. And they do a great job of establishing everything uh, without losing your interest. Because when, you set, w- w- when, as a writer or whatever, you set up a, a storyline, you need the viewer to know as much as possible about the setup and that can be very tedious it's a bit like reading the preface to a book you don't really want to uh, and what they've done is they they set up in a, the first 5 minutes that it is mostly young adults performing some interesting kids here you said you wanted them interesting they're all engaging they're very diverse they're very funny and what they're doing is they they've been asked by a curious character who used to be a Fleet Street journalist to set up uh, a junior newspaper, a proper newspaper, Mark You not like a school newspaper or anything like that. Isn't that what you said you wanted the Junior Gazette to be? A chance for youth to channel its energy productively? So, as I understand it, they've got some funding, they've got some resources, and you've got a bunch of people whose ages I never quite determined for sure. Are they 15? Are they 16? They're about that. Uh, And they have been given this enormous opportunity to run, you know, a big time newspaper for people of that age. And what we have then is a whole bunch of various storylines beginning to set up. Is it true you're getting rid of the disco? What? Are you getting rid of the disco? Some agitations between characters.
0: I seem to have lost something. Did you leave it lying about? Not
1: for long. If it's the man over there you're talking about, he's decided to do his story with us. Really? Who's funny? Local couple nearly killed in their honeymoon. Anything in it for us? Well, we could do a cartoon, like a hearse and on the back just married. Who's a bit dodgy? Don't you know better than to shout out a person's name completely suddenly? You could have been someone I had money. But above all, the key storyline, I feel, through Press Gang, was the on-off relationship between the two protagonists, played by um, Julia and Dexter.
0: Say this was like the olden days. You know, thousands and thousands of years ago? I'd kill a dragon for you. What? No, really, I would. I'd get right out there and I'd kill one. In fact, I'll make you an offer. If you'll go out with me some night this week, I'll make a definite commitment to kill the first dragon that I see. I just want to go back to something you said there about the fact that opening episodes are tricky. And I think nowadays, one often hears when people are saying, oh, you should check out this new show. People often then add the caveat, it doesn't get good, though, till episode two or three, which really bugs me because I think... In your opening episode, you really, you've got to give it everything. Yeah. This gives it everything, doesn't it?
1: It does. Uh, uh, first of all, the, the opening shot is worth just enjoying over and over again and check, checking out whether that is a camera shadow on the girl's forehead. Because although it's not 11 minutes long, like the famous opening sequence of that Tim Robbins film, The Player... It's a continuous opening shot, which establishes the size of the area that they're filming in, the number of people who are involved. They're all choreographed and working together. And then you get the opening line from uh, Linda. What was today's lead in the Gazette? Anyone see? Which makes it clear that we are looking at a newspaper newsroom. Um, And so that's a great piece of setup. And then each of the characters are introduced one by one with funny lines I just you spell bubonic plague what story is that it's for the horoscopes i don't think people realize what a good comedy writer the writer of press gang is he writes great jokes they're up there with friends they really are and they're delivered beautifully by by the actors what happens is we have to get used to a product i've always said this you know it, it, i've made quite a few TV and radio programmes and after about two seasons, people would say to me, I didn't like you when you started, but you've got better. Well, no, I haven't. You've just got used to me. (laughs) You've come to understand what it is, with how it is that we're trying to entertain you. And maybe, you know, the people that you've heard that from, maybe they should reflect back on that, that they've just gradually formed a a relationship with the whole programme and all of its various characteristics.
0: It's interesting you're talking about the writer. The writer is Stephen Moffat, who's incredibly well-known now, You know, one of the kind of real A-list writers in telly. And most people will know this was his first ever TV job. Mm. And one gets the sense, although one would if his later scripts weren't also as beautifully rendered and put together, but one gets the sense this is someone who knows they've got a big opportunity and they're throwing everything at it because it's a real value-for-money script. As you say, almost every line is a zinger. Yeah. There's a real density in the writing, isn't
1: there? Density is exactly the word. There's a concentration in it. Um, If they'd given it a a laughter track, I honestly think it would have uh, transferred to adult TV and gone worldwide. If you take the laughter track off Friends uh, or off Seinfeld, for example, which they sometimes do just to show you um, how much harder it is to laugh at it. We're in lockdown at the moment and we're watching a version of Have I Got News For You that has no studio audience. Um. Well, I'm, I've got rather annoyed um, with all the good weather and I've um, I've decided to ring the police and I've reported the sun. <laughs> the sun appears to be out the whole time. And it's just hard to find it as funny as it is when mm. lots of people are laughing. And Press Gang, as I'm sure we'll, we'll get to, worked through a number of really important issues. There was some high drama in Press Gang, uh, but the the, the the little bits of dialogue. And, you know, you can sometimes... When you're watching a programme for a a reason other than to just be entertained, as an ordinary member of the audience, you start to notice things that you wouldn't notice otherwise. And I can hear the conversation that went on between the writer, the director, the producer and the executive producer about whether they could do a slight joke about cancer. Cancer? No, I think it's just... a star sign. It's a hard-hitting line. It's a brave... A brave line to decide, yes, we can, we can have that little bit of humour right in there. But, you know, you can hear not only the density of the writing in, in, the, in the dialogue, but I can also envisage all the conversations that went on about what you can and can't have. And, of course, there was that moment when they wanted to use a word in the programme and it fell to me to actually issue a warning. I was wondering whether I should warn you. Yes, I should. There's one remark that gets repeated quite a lot. Don't you ever say it, will you?
0: Do you remember what that word was? That's a later episode, isn't it?
1: Is it bitch? Divorce the bitch. I think it's bitch.
0: So what would have happened? What would have been the discussion there? So on the production, they've had a discussion and and they think, okay, we can get away with this. But then would someone at Central later on have had a little worry?
1: Often the script would go to the head of children's. Uh, Now, they're very lucky in that they have a man, head of children's at Central Television, who's also the executive producer of the programme, who is also the cleverest person I've ever met in my life. He's a He is a proper genius and has a really good heart as well, a man called Lewis Rudd. And when the question about any aspect of the programme, the, the issues, the characters, their dialogue, their jokes, if, if ever there was an, an issue about them, he would notice it, he would pick up on it quickly, and he would give a Give a, give a verdict, and they would stick with it. And he he, I don't think he ever put a foot wrong in his entire career. Um, so they probably had a conversation about whether it was okay, and they decided, look, let's not treat this, let's not treat our audience with too thick a pair of kid gloves. We'll be careful with them. We'll look after them. We'll benefit them in watching a program of this quality. But we're we're going to be a door on the real world, which is how a lot of children's television. Um, used to believe it was something
0: that surprised me about it watching it now is it's a very talky show there's pace there's energy so that's great and i think some of it probably would have gone above the heads of the younger viewers but then i also think that probably would have increased its allure wouldn't it to younger viewers because they're thinking gosh this is pitched high it wasn't
1: a gunfight or a car chase in the first five minutes that was 1989 things were different. Uh, We had not moved quite so rapidly or suddenly or completely towards the American way of making television, which is pictures, 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 um, because we are, as a nation, more theatre based. Our history is more theatre and words and Shakespeare. So there's a lot of words in it. Um, But the the great hook at the opening, even though it's kind of flat in that nothing actually happens, uh, is the beginning of the romance between these two. And romance is very important when you're a young adult. Well, it's a very important period, isn't it? But children's television did fight shy of it. They were prepared to do programmes which had a slightly gothic feel about them, such as Nightmare. They were prepared to do dramas about um, quite harrowing things such as well children's ward was about life in a, in a in a children's ward, and harrowing things happened, but romance between young adults would have been a real hook for an awful lot of the people who were watching they wanted to know you know how to have a relationship and and what it was like
0: so uh, that's a really interesting paradox that you're saying that this is an audience that actually is Engaged by romance stories, and this is potentially a set of program makers across children's telling mm. that are probably quite shy of putting on romance stories. Is it because it's just it's 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 deep water? It's tricky territory for them to to navigate. They'd rather not do it.
1: I think there are a whole lot of reasons why a lot of children's television makers used to leave it alone, uh, ranging from you know. An, the, the concern of having younger viewers think to themselves, this is clearly seen as some kind of imperative, I must get involved in in romance and, you know, all those sorts of relationships, uh, through to the fact that, you know, the dreaded word sex must have nothing to do with children's television. And even the beginnings of a romance can lead to you wondering are these two ever going to have a cuddle? And are they going to ever have a kiss? And are we going to see it? And why am I so interested in that? You know, <laughs> so the best thing to do, I think a lot of writers decided just to leave it out completely rather than go tippy toe through that minefield. Not that it is a minefield in my own view. And it's worth remember. I mean, I was a teacher before I got into broadcasting. and Stephen Moffat was a teacher before he started writing. So he and I probably share a, a fairly well-informed perspective on the level of interest that young ad- adolescents uh, show in romance and also how to, how to hold up a mirror to them so that they can benefit from the way in which you do it.
0: You were talking about, and when we were talking about the, um, the tradition of British drama, you said theatre, America's more pictures, but there is something about Press Gang that I think is... Owes something to US telly. I mean, the titles, the titles are very much like Lou Grant. Do you think maybe Stephen Moffat was thinking we could bring this approach to kids TV?
1: Well, let's go into Stephen Moffat's mind and his life, shall we? I think he was a huge fan of Hill Street Blues. Particularly in that opening sequence and the way the camera moves around the newsroom. There are a number of static shots, but there's also quite a lot of. You get the sense of movement from the camera, even if it isn't handheld. Um, and Lou Grant, because well, it, we should explain to a, a listener who doesn't not familiar with Lou Grant. So it's it's a drama about the making of a newspaper, and you know again, again a cast of characters who are not dissimilar, sure, to press gang, um, but. There's something about Press Gang that I think is even sharper than Lou Grant. It was such a difficult thing that they pulled off 45 episodes, I think it was. That's a lot to run storylines that are consistently there throughout the entire four or five years. Little uh, plot lines that run for just that episode and then subplots and then sub subplots within it. Develop those characters Keep your interest in what happens next, because as Forster said, Ian Forster said, the only reason we continue watching or reading or listening is because we want to find out what happens next. To continue to do all that um, with a cast of very young actors, because when you're 14 or 15, which I think they were at the time, all the main actors, uh, you don't necessarily have recourse to that type of depth personally that you need to deliver some of the dialogue and some of the themes that Stephen Moffat gave them. And I have to just say at this point, if I may, I take my hat off to Dexter's American accent.
0: Spike Thompson. Of course, the American.
1: (laughs) Well, an American. There is more than one of us, you know.
0: Staying long or is this a flying visit?
1: I've been here four years. Really,
0: you'll have learned the language Sue.
1: Well, this may come as a surprise to you, but some Americans, they can speak English too. Then why don't you? Because it's only... The day before yesterday, that I had it confirmed when I was just quickly Googling that he's not American. No,
0: he's got a very broad Cockney accent, isn't he? I haven't watched a Press Game for a long time. Stephen Moffat is a is a is a bit of a genius.
1: Well I've not heard a more convincing American accent from a, a British actor, apart from maybe Emma Thompson, whenever she plays the wife of the president. He's brilliant.
0: My sense now is with his dark glasses, his aviation jacket, is there a hint of Tom Cruise in Top Gun? Do you think that's where they were going with that character?
1: Well, it's interesting, isn't it, the story as to how he came to be an American. I knew briefly a man called Dick James. You've never heard of him, but he ran a, a record company called DJM and he discovered Elton John for example. So he knew his stuff. But before that, he was a singer. And he was hired by Lou Grade to sing the theme tune to a children's television series called Robin Hood, which Lou Grade hoped to sell to the United States. And indeed he did. And it became the first British television series ever sold to the United States. There was a resistance to the idea of all those British accents, because you couldn't have an American accent in Sherwood Forest back then. America hadn't been discovered. So what Lou did was he got Dick James into the studio and he said I want you to sing the Robin Hood theme tune, he said, but I want it with an American accent. Robin Hood, Robin Hood Riding through the Glen They got enough American influence into the opening theme of Robin Hood for the Americans to go OK, it's British, but it's got just enough American in it, we'll take it. Now, my understanding is that that is, was the thinking behind having Dexter as an American, that there was potential for a sale to one of the American networks, NBC or whatever. I think it was too good for American television, to be honest, but um, it didn't work. And it left Dexter with that enormous accent. Burden to carry and he carried it off and was he was he modeling himself on tom cruise hey give him the opportunity wouldn't you
0: i mean you've worked a long time in children's television albeit you know not in drama but I, i i sense that you would still get an idea of i mean how tricky is it to find kids of this age that are going to be that good on camera because the cast are sensational and as you allude to the script asks a lot of them i mean that that's a tough job and they pull it off superbly, don't they?
1: The way in which they cast, I can't be certain, but I would imagine they would have lots of auditions. Uh, and what they're looking for in those auditions might not necessarily be the character that they have in mind, but people that they can then begin to write for. There was the famous case of uh, Walt Disney used to audition his the voices for his animations behind a, a screen, so he couldn't see them because he felt that that would damage or contaminate his the, the way he, he felt they sounded. And one little girl came on, auditioning for Snow White or something, and she had such a fantastic voice that he invented the character of Thumper the Rabbit, who had a really strange <laughs> voice, like that, just because the audition had delivered that character to him. I don't know whether any of that is true about how they came up with Press Gang. I would think that all the... Uh, Young drama academies, the Rose Brufords and what have you in London, I, I'm sure they're dotted all over the country, received news that they were going to be running these auditions. And of course, Julia um, had a trump card to play because she herself comes from an acting family, doesn't she? And that would probably have not gone unnoticed. And boy, does she carry it off. And one other thing we haven't mentioned, you know, its, it's, it's this is 1989. Women didn't often get the lead in dramas.
0: This is a very good point. I mean, not only is she the lead, she is you know, she is the editor. All right, everybody, quiet, quiet.
1: So that's important, isn't it? Absolutely. She gets the lead in Press Gang twice over. Because, one, because the editor is a woman, and two, because she is the focal point of the whole thing. It all emanates from her. If if her character doesn't work, like Edna in um, Le Grand, uh then the whole thing won't work. So massive responsibility on her. And I, I you know, I, I just wonder the level of modern thinking that they used in 1989 to decide. Well, look, why does the lead, Why does the editor of a newspaper have to be a man, a male? And it worked hugely.
0: My favourite character in *Press Gang* is Colin, who. Played by Paul Reynolds, he barely features in this opening episode. But actually, even though, as I've already said, the bar for quality is already very high, I felt it spiked—no pun intended—when Colin came in for that little scene where he's clearly running all sorts of side projects. He's got his his homework scam on the go. Who's
1: your teacher, Stanwick or Anderson? Anderson. I can do you a nice little copy tomorrow morning. Break. Be a pound though. Matthew's hot right now. He,
0: he's a bit of a spiv. He's a bit like. Um, uh, the George Cole character in St. Trinians.
1: How much? Look, she's one of my best sources, she's in demand, she's upping her prices. Yeah, and you're up and your cut too, I bet, huh? Hey, you've got a better way of getting this stuff. Okay, you know I don't. And he plays it very well indeed, and it's a challenging uh, role for a young person because young people aren't that good at being cleverly spivvy. They're either blatantly delinquent or good as gold. And so, he, he, you're, and I think your um, equation with him and George Cole. Um, through Minder, but also when he was a spear in the Centrillion films, is perfect. got a high degree of product confidence in his homework, Spike. I'm offering a 20% refund if there's more than two wrong answers.
0: By the way, loved your input at the school dance. There's some guys in the fourth year interested in sponsoring you to do it again at the sports day. I should mention Roger Sloman, who has a guest turn as Mr. Vader. Uh Miss
1: Stewart. Oh, oh, now's not a good time. I don't believe you appreciate the gravity of the situation. Of course I do. We all do. This is not just another news story. This could affect the life of every single child in the country.
0: Of course I know that. You just have to give me one moment. OK, one moment. He's one of those actors that when he comes on, I sort of, I breathe a sigh of relief. He's, he's, he's untouchable, isn't he, when he's playing bothersome slightly aggressive eccentrics and that's dynamite casting isn't it for a kids show
1: it really is of course we we know whenever we see him pop up what's going to happen because that's his character and we're happy not to be disappointed even though we anticipated it can you believe can you even begin to believe that on open sale in toy shops everywhere in the country perhaps everywhere in the world is the latest American defence technology. What? Yeah, the Star Wars
0: programme. Oh, no.
1: But if you're the average 12, 14-year-old watching Press Gang, just beginning to understand certain actors and what have you, um, his performance would have been a complete surprise to them. They didn't know that they were in safe hands. I do like the way you put that. It's good to know you're in safe hands. When certain actors come on and you know they're going to deliver, they're not going to let you down. It's going to work. And you're right, he is one of them and an unsung hero. Hello there, welcome to CITV. You, of course,
0: were well-placed to kind of gauge viewer reaction to Press Gang. You were there because you were the guy that would, would introduce it to viewers You know, on a, on a Monday afternoon. This is the prize that they get. It's a bit like an Oscar. It's called a, ba- a BAFTA
1: award and it's given by the British Academy. And the winner of the best children's television programme on any television station last time round was this one.
0: What, do you remember, was there a big reaction at the time? Was this show a grower or was it something which the audience that you were talking to immediately jumped on?
1: We didn't get much feedback in the little operation that I had at Children's ITV. It was it was one man and, and his dog or a couple of... Uh, very willing secretaries who didn't have an awful lot to do. Any feedback about the programme would go direct to the programme makers. And Children's ITV being a fragmented federal organisation, even though uh, Children's ITV, what I did, was run by Central Television and Press Gang was made by Central Television, Children's ITV came from Birmingham, which was one of the studio setups of Central, and Press Gang was made out of Nottingham. So I didn't see any of the mail that came in about uh, two to press gang. Uh, but I would frequently have a beer with um, Lewis Rudd and he would just keep me. I tell you what a clever man he is. <laughs> I remember a drink one evening uh, to the bar in the Holiday Inn in Birmingham. <laughs> and and uh, I said, see, so what would you like? And he said, I'll have a pint of lager. And I looked at the lagers and I said, low and brow all right for you and he replied oh no surely in my case high and brow (laughs) which was you know (laughs) it's a great off the cuff isn't it and that that was Lewis Rudd so uh, he had his finger on the pulse he knew what was good and what was not so good Mm. Um, and he was quietly very enthusiastic about press gang and watching it go out I mean, what kind of a job is that? I'm sitting there with a nice cup of Nescaf in a little studio in the warm and I'm watching television programmes and they're all good quality. There, was no, there were no strip shows or anything or, or cheap quizzes on children's ITV. It was all hot television and Press Gang was as good as it gets. And I started to just sit there and enjoy it. I'm being paid to watch TV and on the back end of it, spend 15 seconds saying what a good programme it was. And I know that the makers of the programmes appreciated the fact that that was my approach. I didn't have a glove puppet, and I didn't—I wasn't wacky and zany. I would just watch the programme and say, oh, that was amazing. I didn't think Spy could pull it off. And it got right to the last shot, didn't it? And you realised that he'd been fibbing to us all the time. Brilliant. And I got lots of feedback from the, the writers and the directors and the producers saying, It's really nice to get that early litmus (laughs) as to whether our programme worked or not. Your reaction, because if it wasn't too good, you just don't back announce it. And that is indeed the case. If I felt something, you know, didn't quite merit being extolled, I would just say, and coming up after the break.
0: Stephen Moffat had, had said he'd heard, and maybe he's wrong, so you can tell me, he'd heard that you'd received complaints or a bit of bother from producers of other shows that aired on children's ITV who were jealous of your obvious affection for press gang. I mean, I know he was very grateful of the things that you would say. I remember personally, you would cue it up sometimes saying here's the best show on television. Well, it is the best program on telly. Did that ever get back to you that producers of other shows again, Oh, Tommy's always banging on about press gang. Why can't, you know, why, why can't we get some of that?
1: The answer is yes, but I wasn't aware of it at the time. Um, I was aware of a growing um, lobby that said, what is a 45-year-old man doing introducing children's television programmes? It's embarrassing. And I I don't know whether there was some merit in that thought or whether it was part of a a, a campaign to either persuade me to be just as effusive about their programmes as I was about Press Gang. Um, You see, Children's ITV, as I said before, was a federation of all the ITV regions. And... I'm going to paraphrase Winston Churchill just like Oris does whenever he gets the chance when he was showing a young new MP around the House of Commons Churchill said to him it was empty he said this is where we sit and the young MP said to Churchill and the enemy sit opposite you and Churchill said no 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 that's the opposition the enemy sit behind us <laughs> <laughs> and we were, supposed, we were supposed to be up against the BBC, mm. but we didn't feel like that. Whichever ITV region you worked for, you felt that there was a possibility that some of the other regions were working against you because they wanted that time slot. They wanted that slice of the budget, or they, they were just out and out jealous mm. because your programs were getting better ratings, better reviews and better back announcements from the continuity get me <laughs> so uh, all of that's in there and uh, it was it was a little bit like um sort of uh italy before garibaldi unified it there was all this squabbling between the tribes and i don't think any of us got wind of too much of it and if we had have done we probably wouldn't have known what it was all about
0: mm. and am i right in thinking that editorially when you're doing that job you were pretty much left your own devices in terms of you didn't have a production team that are steering you saying you know no. the message this week tommy is this or this is this is our this is what we want to focus on uh, t- uh during this afternoon's lengths were you just almost doing what you thought best
1: well i was a bit of an old dog by this time and i'd been around the block so many times i knew every single cent everything and I think some of the people working with me, and there were were two two or three people were assigned to the show. There was a sort of a director, but there wasn't much to direct, was there? Mm -hmm. It was a single camera shoot, and I used to set the shot up myself. Um, And there was two secretaries who didn't have an awful lot to do. That was the entire team. Um, And I think they, they thought that I knew best. And I really fancied doing it the way I did it. I really fancied just watching the programmes and talking about the programmes. Brilliant. Now, this time I guessed that it was the stuntman, did you? And not setting, you know, little minute competitions of my own or, uh, you know, developing an entertainment agenda of my own. I remember watching uh, one Saturday morning programme in which the presenters would say things like, "Okay, well, it's time for a cartoon now, but we're going to carry on playing ping-pong in the studio. Yay! (laughs) And I would think to myself, well, if you're going to not watch the programme and make a thing of the fact that you're not going to watch the programme, why should anybody else? So when you
0: went into doing this, was that, did you have that, this is what I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be watching the shows, or is that just how it developed and that's how you found yourself doing it?
1: Well, I was, I got a phone call out of the blue from Lewis Rudd, the chap whose praises I've been singing. I just stopped doing a Saturday morning TV show called The Wide Awake Club. It's good to and at the age of, I was 40, early 40s, I thought, well, oh, that's it, I'm going to have to try something else, now because, um, well, I want to try something else, actually. You don't want to do just one thing all your life, I don't think. But the phone rang, and it was Lewis, and he said, there's been a little bit of trouble, I'm not going into details, we need somebody to come up here and do the Children's ITV Links. He said, we can only pay you 600 quid a week, but we'll, you know, look after you. So I said, okay. I said, "Um, when are we thinking here, next September? Or he said, no, on Monday. (laughs) So I showed up and some graphic designer or whatever had built a set based on what they thought children's ITV was all about, which was time. And that graphic designer said to me, here's your new studio. I don't know if you've seen a Salvador Dali painting of melting clocks. Mm. It looked like that. Mm. I know. And that person said to me, because it's all about time, isn't it? 3.45, it's time for this. 3.55, it's time for that. 10 past four, it's time for this. And I remember thinking, how far removed from communication and And what's in the viewer's mind when they're watching TV, can you get? It's not about time at all. It's about the bloody programs. Mm -hmm. So I got them to dress up a load of various props, toys, teddy bears and things, dartboard I had in the background, over the melting clocks, and thought, well, now what am I going to talk about? Not time for a start. Yeah, come on, the programs, just watch them and comment on them so that it shows that you've watched them. So at the very least, the viewer will think that the programs are worth watching, or at least I think they are. Mm. So that was the start of it. Everything else just then just became became easy. I didn't have to memorize anything. I used to put post-it notes of the upcoming shows on the camera, so I didn't have to memorize them and the times. Um, and I used to put little bits of duct tape on the studio clock that i had which was my out time for getting into the next program Mm. because sometimes you can't compute for 27 and 27 seconds on an analog clock Mm. without a floor manager giving you the hand signals the countdown time so i used to do all that and then, I'd I said, I'd make myself a cup of Nescafe and I'd watch television for an hour and a half and enjoy it.
0: So, I've asked you to revisit Press Gang. Um, as I mentioned, I think you once described it as the best show on TV. Looking at it again now and thinking about what you've got going on in your life at the moment what we've all got going on in our lives at the moment how did it fit into your day
1: I watched it in the bath Mm. (laughs) that was the (laughs) honest answer to it Um, I hopped into the bath and I had my mobile phone with me and I thought if I watch this press gang that I've been asked to watch way in advance I'll have half forgotten about it because there's so much media flying at you you know and we're watching more stuff tonight and last night and it recedes quite quickly so I thought no just leave it till a day before and then it was my turn to cook tea but I had been on the treadmill so I had a quick bath and I thought oh have a look at this the beginning have a look at the opening but once it started I couldn't put it down you know so I'm sat there getting wrinkled toes and wrinkled feet but just constantly going oh that's good And then all of a sudden those credits are rolling.
0: Lastly, Tommy, I mean, this is a big question. How are you finding life in lockdown?
1: It's the most fantastic and the most terrifying experience being locked down. You have to remember that there are tragedies occurring in people's family, amongst people's families. All over the planet, hundreds of thousands of people Mm. have died of this illness. That's the first thing. But the second thing is... A lot of people are learning a lot about themselves. And if it's possible, uh, we might be able to say in years to come that some good came out of it. And that could be to do with a sense of community, mm. a sense of one world, a sense of one world. Because as as you and I talk to each other right now, of course, people might be listening to this in a million years time. That's the beauty of the Internet. And they'll go, what are they talking about here? Oh, Yes. That global lockdown but at this moment in time everybody on planet earth is having to behave in the same way mm. you know whatever color whatever race whatever creed whatever age group we're all locked down <laughs> all six no eight billion of us eight thousand million people are thinking the same set of thoughts today john lennon would have approved what do i do on a day-to-day basis I find myself little jobs. I create create a to-do list and a time frame for them. And I get through till five o'clock when it's time to start cooking tea and have my first gin and tonic of the evening.
0: Thank you, Tommy, for watching Press Gang. And thank you for talking to me about it. Now, stay indoors.